Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Though we're still far from completely being past COVID, expanding vaccination levels have made it possible to ease many travel restrictions. And along with the increase of heat and humidity, the arrival of increasing number of visitors reminds us that it's summer in Maine. That provides an opportunity to poke around in the Electronic Cottage archives to select some episodes that may still be very relevant whether to visitors from outside of the area or to regular listeners who might have missed them the first time around. So, put your feet up and, we hope, enjoy this Electronic Cottage Encore. Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Regular listeners to The Electronic Cottage are certainly aware that pretty much everything we do online is being monitored and that profiles about our tastes and interests and activities are being constructed so that advertisers can do their best in convincing, some would say manipulating, us into purchasing their wares, signing up for their services, or taking some action or other we may never have otherwise thought about. While most folks may find this kind of activity somewhat smarmy, the Consumer Federation of America has a much more serious take on the effects of what they refer to as surveillance advertising. In August of 2021, that group released a short paper entitled, quote, Surveillance Advertising. What is it? End quote. Here's how they describe this kind of watching everything we do online to make a buck, or worse. Quote, surveillance advertising, also known as targeted advertising or behavioral advertising, is the practice of showing individual consumers different advertisements based on inferences about their interests, demographics, or other characteristics drawn from tracking their activities over time and space. End quote. Hmm... Besides being a bit creepy, is there any real problem with this type of advertising? According to the Consumer Federation, there are quite a few pretty serious problems. Quote, Surveillance advertising can perpetuate discrimination in housing, credit, employment, and other economic opportunities. It also hides personalized pricing from consumers, leaving them unaware that a company has charged them a different amount than others. Surveillance advertising is also sometimes used for promoting unhealthy products, encouraging gambling, and perpetuating fraud. The data that are fed into algorithms to profile consumers may be inaccurate, but even when they are correct, the fact is that surveillance advertising is unfair. It uses invisible and invasive techniques to manipulate consumers and robs them of real choice in the marketplace. Furthermore, the enormous stores of personal data collected for surveillance advertising put consumers at risk for exposure, identity theft, and more malicious tracking. It can also lead to erosion of their Fourth Amendment rights, as government agencies can purchase data that otherwise would require a warrant. End quote. Well, that certainly is quite a litany of harms resulting from surveillance advertising. In their report, the Consumer Federation provides links to document every one of those claimed harms. 
We'll put a link to the report for those interested in looking into this list of harms in more detail on the page for today's program in the Public Affairs Archive at www.weru.org. After a list of troublesome effects like that, it certainly makes sense to ask, how can consumers avoid surveillance advertising? The report's answer is not very encouraging. Quote, It is extremely difficult for people to avoid tracking and profiling. Consumers can clear cookies on their computers, but not all tracking involves cookies. Ad blockers allow consumers to stop seeing some ads and thus stop some tracking by default, but not all. Consumers can use global privacy controls on their internet browsers to send a signal communicating that they don't want their data to be sold, but that says nothing about data collection. Most importantly, companies can simply ignore these signals unless the law requires companies to honor them. End quote. And, by the way, the law in the U.S. does not require companies to honor those signals. In fact, the U.S. has no national online privacy law at all. A very few states, California chief among them, have some sort of online consumer privacy laws. The EU has a pretty strong one, and since many companies that do this sort of tracking are international, we here in the U.S. do benefit a little bit from the regulations in Europe. But overall, we're largely at the mercy of the online trackers despite our best personal efforts. One hope to remedy this situation is that Congress enacts a national online privacy law. Several have been introduced into Congress by members of both parties, but anyone who's paid any attention to the circus that currently is Congress has scant hope of getting a robust online privacy law, or anything else for that matter, from the current collection of lawmakers anytime soon. So, Another hope for privacy online comes from a number of commentators who have suggested that, one, online users might pay extra not to be tracked, thus providing an economic incentive to service providers to honor our privacy online, or two, that consumers get paid by companies to use their personal data to more effectively profile them for targeted advertising and other purposes. At this point, there's not a lot of research about whether either of those approaches might increase user choice about their interaction with surveillance advertising. A consumer group called WITCH over in the United Kingdom has tried to do some research on these questions. The group surveyed over 4,000 online users, but, and this is important, those people did not represent a random sample of UK online users, so the results are illustrative but not necessarily statistically valid, which published the results of their surveys in a 111-page report entitled, quote, Value of the Choice Requirement Remedy, end quote. We'll put a link to it on today's webpage. One very short version of their research results is that users would actually pay extra not to receive targeted ads and not to have their personal data collected, even though they would still see non-targeted ads. What users would be willing to pay might seem somewhat trivial at first. At the currency exchange rate when this episode of The Electronic Cottage was recorded, 
they would pay about $1.50 a month on average to only receive non-targeted ads. Though that's not a lot on an individual level, the report points out that if all users of Google and Facebook in the UK were to pay this extra fee, that would total about $1.5 billion. That is real money for data collectors. What about going in the other direction? How much would users in the survey group have to be paid to allow themselves to receive targeted ads? On average, for the group surveyed, about $5.50 a month in U.S. dollars would do the trick. That might seem quite low to those nervous about surveillance advertising, but again, this is only one study of a non-random group of users in the U.K. Though the amounts may seem small, they do point out that users are willing to pay extra to see only non-targeted ads and to not have their personal data collected, and that they would demand a higher price to allow targeted ads and data collection about themselves. Hmm, wonder what our personal decisions about those two questions might be. Giving users options about controlling their personal data and how technology might make it possible is definitely worth looking into a bit more. And we'll do that right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. Cheers.